Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, whatever part of the day you're in. Sure do appreciate y'all joining me. Give me a little bit of your time. I hope it makes the day go a little smoother. Hope it gives you some more tools to add to your toolbox, as we talk about so often, and Hope it helps the country just a little bit. That'll be <clears throat> that'll be enough. Lord, thank you for the time to record this podcast for the people that listen to it. Guide them and their families through the day. And me as well. Help me to speak only the words that you want me to speak. Forgive us our sins, individually and as a nation. Help us to turn back to you. Guide us, Lord. Give us wisdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, don't have a whole lot. Did manage to order some fruit trees. For those of y'all that have been listening, we've been talking about that a little bit. Um, the need to try wherever you are. If you're in the city, out in the country, if you've got a little bit of space, plant a garden. Plant some trees. Get some chickens. Something to give you a little bit of freedom. And and one thing that I haven't talked about in quite a while is Patrick Henry's quote telling us to practice virtue and to encourage it in others in whatever sphere we have, you know. And I try and always tell y'all thank you at the beginning for those of y'all that listen to it, share the podcast. And, those of y'all that have joined over on Patreon and are financially supporting the podcast, because I am very grateful. And a lot of times I'll go through this litany of things, you know, like whether you're changing diapers or doing dishes or vacuuming or driving down the road to or from work, or if that is your work or conference period, lunch hour, whatever it is. And that kind of goes back to this quote from Henry because you all have a sphere of influence, folks. It doesn't matter what you do. Some of ours are greater in scope or intensity or importance or less, but we all have a sphere of influence. You know, as like a stay-at-home mom has a huge influence on the children. Whereas a teacher might not get to see that child quite as often. But they still have an influence, right? Or if you work at a gas station, if you're a cashier somewhere or a clerk, you may not have a long period of interaction with everybody that comes in, but you still have that sphere of influence and you can encourage it, virtue and integrity, even in little ways. You know, the cashier, I did that for a little while after college. I worked in a coffee shop and you don't see everybody constantly, but you do get some regulars and you start to know those people a little bit and, and you can have some conversations with them that you can't have with some of your other customers. And it's still that you have the sphere of influence. And, and we've kind of forgotten this. We've started to pretend like, well, if I don't have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers online on Instagram or Twitter, or if I don't have all these people and TikTok and Snap, Snapchat and whatever else, folks, like Facebook, <clears throat> or if I don't have this 
YouTube channel or podcast, you still have people that listen to you. And maybe everybody won't listen to you, but a few will. And even just a few, you know, there's, <laughs> I can't remember. I think it was Wesley talked about if he could just have, it was either 10 or 100. It might have been 10. I'll, I'll say 100 just to be safe. Men who were truly on fire for the gospel, he would he would set the entire world aflame or something along those. I'm probably paraphrasing badly, but you get the idea. Wind picked up a little bit. Hopefully that doesn't bother you all too much. At any rate, so kind of off topic, but we're going to go back to Harrison real quick. Not the Harrison that we have been talking about. I meant to add this in, but William Henry Harrison, who was the ninth president of the United States, he was the grandson of Benjamin Harrison, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, as well as the father of Benjamin Harrison, who was the 23rd president of the United States. He only served one month in office before he died. But in his inaugural address from March of 1841, he left this for us. I deem the present occasion sufficiently important and solemn to justify me in expressing to my fellow citizens a profound reverence for the Christian religion and a thorough conviction that sound morals, religious liberty, and a just sense of religious responsibility are essentially connected with all true and lasting happiness. And that's so, so important, folks. You hear today, I, I get it quite often online on some of the social media platforms or responses to the podcast quotes or whatever else that this is a secular nation. This is a secular nation. There's, you know, where's God here and there? And first off, you know, God is just almost everywhere we look originally. And we talk about that on the podcast constantly. We have for well, we're, we're getting closer and closer to two years now. And, and, and so, and so it's just not true. Right. But this idea that we can have this freedom, this liberty without God in America is just foolish. And we used to know that that used to just be regardless of your political persuasion, you know, which party you picked or, or what your particular beliefs were on a certain issue. We had these core values that we talk about so often, and it all went back to God. And you can hear that in this inaugural, this part of this inaugural address from President Harrison, that, you know, this occasion is so important to him that he needs to express this thorough conviction that sound morals, religious liberty, and a just sense of religious responsibility, all going back to this reverence that he talked about right before that in the Christian religion are essentially connected with all true and lasting happiness. Probably, I would have picked a different word than happiness, but nonetheless, the, the intent there is still the same. If we want liberty and freedom as wide as possible, you're never going to get, that's one of the things the left does so often. They, they, they make believe that if everything just worked the way they wanted it to work, we would have this utopia, if they even really believe that. And I'm not sold on that. We've talked about that here before. Those people that can still vote for the left today that have even remotely a brain on their shoulders, I just I question whether they're doing it out of ignorance or malevolence. And that's between them and God, but their actions speak volumes. If you can still vote for rejecting God 
out of culture based on what we see today produced by that culture of rejection of God. If you can still vote for abortion, for murdering babies, for feminism, which destroys men, women, families, if you could still vote for illegal immigration, which has been absolutely destructive to the country, if you can still vote for socialism and communism and critical race theory and identity politics, which are all based on racism and bigotry, if you can still vote for all these things and you're a thinking individual, then what's left to say, okay, you know what these things bring and you still choose to vote for them. So you must want them. You must think that you're going to be part of that group that's safe or whatever, right? And so at any rate, you know, when we go back and we look at the actual real comments like this inaugural address, it always goes back to God, especially at the beginning. And we're going to talk about this for the next couple of days with education and particularly University of Harvard. Look at how it was founded. Look at what it produced at the beginning. And because it became one of the preeminent schools in the entire world, really, uh, in a pretty short period of time relative to a lot of other universities. But it has, as with so much of publicly funded education, whether it's K through 12 or whether it's universities and colleges, which I know that that's a private college, so you can say not publicly funded. So just our universities and colleges in general, they have gone. They did, I'm trying to think of a kind way to say it, folks, and I just can't. So much of our education system today has become destructive to the United States. We're destroying ourselves because we're destroying our children because we've allowed this leftist ideology to creep in. And it's, I'm not even talking necessarily about the overt in your face stuff like the trans, the LGBTQ agenda, which is horrific. But even in the way we grade, right? We give some students accommodations and we don't give other students. And then we grade them all on the same scale and we pretend that we're being fair and equitable. Or you talk about discipline. The fact that kids can come in and scream and rant and cuss and throw things at teachers, counselors. And there's little, if any, repercussion because they have some special accommodation. The fact that they can endanger other students and yet are back in school, even after threatening to kill other students back in school within days. And, and the really frustrating thing is find a teacher that you trust. Find a counselor that you trust wherever you are in the United States, because it's not just limited folks to one state or another. California, Texas, New York, Florida, the Dakotas, wherever you are, find somebody you trust that's in education. Sit down and talk to them and talk to them about what the grading's like, what the discipline is like, how they function. And you are going to have a few, a very, very small percentage of schools that might be in a bubble, but it's a temporary bubble and it's not going to last very long because we've gotten away from where we started. So where did we start, right? So John Harper came to a, America as a clergyman, 
in Charleston, Massachusetts, contributed his library and property, part of his property in 1636 for the founding of the first college in America. And this is an excerpt from one of the little publications. After God had carried us safe to New England, and we had built our houses, provided necessaries for our livelihood, reared convenient places for God's worship, and settled the civil government, one of the next things we longed for and looked after was to advance learning and to perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches when our present ministries shall lie in the dust. And as we were thinking and consulting how to effect this great work, it pleased God to stir up the heart of one Mr. Harvard, a godly gentleman and lover of learning there living amongst us, to give the one half of his estate towards the erecting of a college and all his library. So we start, <clears throat> we start with what, folks? What do we start with in education? And, and then the nation. We start with God. We start with ministers. We start with a church creating this school. <laughs> it just, it always, always, always goes back to God. The thing here that was really noteworthy to me in this little clip outside of the tide of Christianity, which was the first, uh, which just shows again that even before we were a nation, we started with God. And that continued as FDR and Truman both noted separately, and many others too. Those are just two that I've talked about recently. That all of our laws, Constitution, Bill of Rights, Declaration, all of these things were based in the teachings in the Bible and God and Jesus Christ. You can't have these liberties that we have, the Constitution, the way it was set up. You can't have any of this stuff without God and the principles there. But the other thing that was noteworthy and this quote was talking about the fact that they wanted to preserve this knowledge for the next generation. And we are losing so much right now because we are doing such a poor job of truly educating our children. You know, and that's something I've heard over the years often when you talk about socialism and communism. One of the goals always, and you see it with the, with the Muslim terrorists too, you see it with them, come in and wipe out history and then they can make history whatever they want. They can pretend it's whatever they want it to be that serves their purposes. I think Reagan made a comment too, but one of our presidents in the 20th century, I'm pretty sure it was, you know, talked about if we forget where we came from, then we have no idea who we are or where we're going. And, and that applies in education as well. If we don't raise up children with the Bible is the primary textbook, the center of our education. Then we're going to wake up one day and we're going to have all these kids that might be really educated in some particular subject, but they're not going to have the wisdom to use it. It's the comment from one of our generals in World War II about the fact that we've become mental giants, right? But moral infants because we have created the nuclear bomb, but we had no idea how to use it or or apply it, uh, and you, you can take that a lot. I'm kind of pulling just little fragments of quotes that I remember. At any rate, we have a responsibility to pass on the history and heritage of our country to our students, to our children, and, and we're just doing a horrific job today. So we're going to talk about Harvard, maybe three days, uh, 
1636, founded in Cambridge, Massachusetts, from the donation of property of Reverend John Harvard, who we just read that quote from. It was originally called the College at Cambridge. Harvard was the first college in America, established only 16 years after the landing of the Pilgrims, so really early on. And the declared purpose of the college was to train illiterate clergy, right? So we're going to, we created this college, we're going to train ministers so that they can spread well the word of God. They can spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That was the whole point of this founding. That's where we started. And so <clears throat> I don't think we're even going to begin to get through these rules and precepts. I know, I know we're not, but we'll read a couple of them. Uh, this was at Harvard, as they were observed in 1642. When any scholar is able to make and speak true Latin in verse and prose and decline perfectly the parad paradigms of nouns and verbs in the Greek tongue, he is capable of admission into the college. <laughs> so you can only imagine if we had even remotely these kind of stringent requirements today. And so you don't have to take the the Latin and the, and the Greek, right? You can just talk about the fact that if, if we only allowed students into college who had a firm grasp of just the English language alone, much less if the requirement was to be fluent, which I'm not, it's a great failure in my life. It's one that I've struggled with and, and really have done poorly with off and on over the years. But if you can imagine if we only allowed students who were fluent in at least one other language into college, what that would do, right? That kind of grasp. And when you look at our really great thinkers, not all of them, not all of them by any means, but a lot of them, the one that pops to mind right now is John Quincy Adams. I can't even remember how many languages he knew to some degree or another, right? Uh, so many of these people knew multiple, not all of them. There were some uneducated men that turned into great leaders, phenomenal leaders. But that was the exception, not the rule. And today, you find an English teacher in high school, a person that really knows English, and talk to them about the students that we're producing now and the percentage of them that they would say have a firm grasp on the English language. And you say, well, that's the teacher's fault then. No, it's not. A, we've taken God out. B, the families are in total disarray at home, dysfunctional, broken. And C, the educational system is set up to teach to a test and care only about a score as opposed to letting these teachers actually teach. And then another one is all the leftist ideology that's come in. So we don't require the great old works anymore with these kids, but all this new modern Bravo Sierra, if you'll excuse my language, that forces agenda over quality, over true education. The second one, and I think that'll be it for the day. Actually, you know what? That's it for today. We're not going to go over. We got a ton. So we're going to spend at least one more day, probably two more days on Harvard to some degree or another. And really talk about education some, because if we're going to win this war, 
and we are in a war where you can say a cold civil war right now and that's fine but it's got a really good shot of turning hot but either way whether it does or doesn't the only way we're going to turn this thing around is through education and culture because it affects our children so much and our families adults too we pretend like it doesn't but it does and get back to god so god bless y'all god bless your families god bless america We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.